Chapter twenty six of Rural Rides. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Rural Rides by William Cobbett. Chapter twenty six. Ride from Berkeley to Lyndhurst in the New Forest. The reformers have yet many and powerful foes. We have to contend against a host, such as never existed before in the world. Nine-tenths of the press, all the channels of speedy communication of sentiment, all the pulpits, all the associations of rich people, all the taxing people, all the military and naval establishments, all the yeomanry cavalry tribes. Your allies are endless in number and mighty in influence. But we have one ally worth the whole of them put together, namely, the debt! This is an ally whom no honours or rewards can seduce from us. She is a steady, unrelaxing, persevering, incorruptible ally, an ally that is proof against all blandishments, all intrigues, all temptations, and all open attacks. She sets at defiance all military, all yeomanry cavalry. They may as well fire at a ghost. She cares no more for the sabres of the yeomanry or the life-guards, than Milton's angels did for the swords of Satan's myrmidons. This ally cares not a straw about spies and informers. She laughs at the employment of secret service money. She is always erect day and night, and is always firmly moving on in our cause, in spite of all the terrors of jails, dungeons, halters, and axes. Therefore, Mr. Jabbot, be not so pert. The combat is not so unequal as you seem to imagine, and confident and insolent as you now are, the day of your humiliation may not be far distant. Letter to Mr. Jabbot of Birmingham, Register, Volume 31, page 477, November 1816. Hurstbourne Tarrant, commonly called Up Husband, Wednesday, 11th October, 1826. When quarters are good, you are apt to lurk in them. But really it was so wet that we could not get away from Berkeley till Monday evening. Being here, there were many reasons for our going to the great fair at Weyhill, which began yesterday, and indeed the day before, at Appleshaw. These two days are allotted for the selling of sheep only, though the horse fair begins on the tenth. To Appleshaw they bring nothing but those fine, curled-horned, and long-tailed ewes, which bring the house-lambs and the early Easter lambs, and these, which to my taste are the finest and most beautiful animals of the sheep-kind, come exclusively out of Dorsetshire, and out of the part of Somersetshire bordering on that county. To Weyhill, which is a village of half a dozen houses on a down, just above Appleshaw, they bring from the down farms in Wiltshire and Hampshire, where they are bred, the South Down sheep, used to go away into the pasture and turnip countries to have lambs, where there is to be fatted and killed, and lambs nine months old to be kept to be sheep. At both fairs there is supposed to be about two hundred thousand sheep, it was of some consequence to ascertain how the price of these had been affected by late panic, which ended the respite of 1822, or by the plethora of money, as Lone Man Baring called it. I can assure this political doctor that there was no such plethora at Weyhill yesterday, where, while I viewed the long faces of the farmers, while I saw consciousness of ruin painted on their countenances, I could not help saying to myself, the lone mongers think they are cunning, but, by God, they will never escape the ultimate consequences of this horrible ruin. The prices, take them on a fair average, were at both fairs just about one-half what they were last year. So that my friend Mr. Thwaites of the Herald, 
who had a lying Irish reporter at Preston, was rather hasty about three months ago, when he told his well-informed readers that those politicians were deceived who had supposed that prices of farm produce would fall in consequence of late panic and the subsequent measures. There were Dorsetshire ewes that sold last year for fifty shillings a head. We could hear of none this year that exceeded twenty-five shillings. And only think of twenty-five shillings for one of these fine, large ewes, nearly fit to kill, and having two lambs in her, ready to be brought forth in, on an average, six weeks' time. The average is three lambs to two of these ewes. In eighteen twelve these ewes were from fifty-five shillings to seventy-two shillings each, at this same Appleshaw Fair. And in that year I bought Southdown ewes at forty-five shillings each, just such as were yesterday sold for eighteen shillings. Yet the sheep and grass and all things are the same in real value. What a false, what a deceptious, what an infamous thing this paper-money system is! However, it is a pleasure, it is real, it is great delight, it is boundless joy to me, to contemplate this infernal system in its hour of wreck, swag here, crack there, scroop this way, souse that way, and such a rattling and such a squalling, and the parsons and their wives looking so frightened, beginning, apparently, to think that the day of judgment is at hand. I wonder what Master Parson at Sharncut, whose church can contain eight persons, and Master Parson of Drake at Foliot, who is, for want of a church, inducted under a tent or temporary booth, I wonder what they think of Southdown lambs, nine months old, selling for six or seven shillings each. I wonder what the Barings and the Ricardos think of it. I wonder what those master parsons think of it who are half-pay naval or military officers, as well as master parsons of the church made by law. I wonder what the gaffer gooches with their parsonships and military officers think of it. I wonder what Daddy Coke and Suffield think of it. And, when, I wonder, do they mean to get into their holes and barns again, to cry aloud against the roguery of reducing the interest of the debt? When, I wonder, do these manly, these modest, these fair, these candid, these open, and above all things, these sensible fellows intend to assemble again, and to call all the house of Quiddenham, and the house of Kilmenham, or Kinsalem, or whatever it is, for I really have forgotten, to call, I say, all these about them in the holes and the barns, and then and there again make a formal and solemn protest against Cobbett, and against his roguish proposition for reducing the interest of the debt. And now I have these fellows on the hip, and brave sport will I have with them before I have done. Mr. Blunt, at whose house, seven miles from Wayhill, I am, went with me to the fair, and we took particular pains to ascertain the prices. We saw and spoke to Mr. John Herbert of Stoke, near Uphusband, who was asking twenty shillings, and who did not expect to get it, for Southdown ewes, just such as he sold last year at this fair for thirty-six shillings. Mr. Jolliffe of Croxeaston was asking sixteen shillings for just such ewes as he sold last year at this fair for thirty-two shillings. Farmer Holdway had sold for less than half his last year's price. A farmer that I did not know told us that he had sold to a great sheep-dealer of the name of Smallpiece at the latter's own price. I asked him what that own price was, and he said that he was ashamed to say. The horse-fair appeared to have no business at all going on, for indeed how were people to purchase horses, who had only got half price for their sheep? The sales of sheep at this one fair, including Appleshaw, must have amounted this year to a hundred and twenty or thirty thousand pounds less than last year. Stick up in there, Master Prosperity Robinson, and turn back to it again anon. Then came the horses, not equal in amount to the sheep, but of great amount. Then comes the cheese, a very great article, and it will have a falling off if you take quantity into view, 
in a still greater proportion. The hops being a monstrous crop, their price is nothing to judge by. But all is fallen, even corn, though in many parts, all but the wheat and rye have totally failed, is, taking a quarter of each of the six sorts, wheat, rye, barley, oats, peas, and bean, eleven shillings ninepence cheaper upon the whole, that is to say, eleven shillings ninepence upon two hundred and fifty-eight shillings. And if the late panic had not come, it must and it would have been, and according to the small bulk of the crop it ought to have been, a hundred and fifty shillings dearer, instead of eleven shillings ninepence cheaper. Yet it is too dear, and far too dear, for the working people to eat. The masses, the assembled masses, must starve, if the price of bread be not reduced, that is to say, in Scotland and Ireland, for in England I hope that the people will demand and insist, to use the language of the Bill of Rights, on a just and suitable provision, agreeably to the law, and if they do not get it, I trust that law and justice will in due course be done, and strictly done, upon those who refuse to make such provision. Though in time the price of corn will come down without any repeal of the corn bill, and though it would have come down now, if we had had a good crop, or an average crop, still the corn bill ought now to be repealed, because people must not be starved in waiting for the next crop, and the landowner's monopoly, as the son of John with the bright sword calls it, ought to be swept away and the sooner it is done, the better for the country. I know very well that the landowners must lose their estates if such prices continue, and if the present taxes continue. I know this very well, and I like it well, for the landowners may cause the taxes to be taken off if they will. Ah, oh, wicked dog, say they. What then? You would have us lose the half-pay and the pensions and sinecures which our children and other relations, or that we ourselves are pocketing out of the taxes, which are squeezed in great part out of the labourer's skin and bone, "'Yes, upon my word, I would. "'But if you prefer losing your estates, I have no great objection, "'for it is hard that, in a free country, "'people should not have their choice of the different roads to the poor-house. "'Here's the rub. "'The vote-owners, the seat-owners, the big borough-mongers, "'have directly and indirectly so large a share of the loaves and fishes "'that the share is, in point of clear income, equal to, "'and in some cases greater than, that from their estates. "'And though this is not the case with the small fry of jolterheads, they are so linked in with, and overawed by, the big ones, that they have all the same feeling, and that is, that to cut off half-pay, pensions, sinecures, commissionerships, such as that of Hobhouse's father, army, and the rest of the good things, would be nearly as bad as to take away the estates, which besides are, in fact, in many instances, nearly gone, at least from the present holder already, by the means of mortgage, annuity, rent-charge, settlement, jointure, or something or other. Then there are the parsons, who, with their keen noses, have smelled out long enough ago, that if any serious settlement should take place, they go to a certainty. In short, they know well how the whole nation, the interested excepted, feel towards them. They know well that were it not for their allies, it would soon be queer times with them. Here, then, is the rub. Here are the reasons why the taxes are not taken off. Some of these jolter-headed beasts were ready to cry, and I know that one did actually cry to a farmer, his tenant, in 1822, the tenant told him that Mr. Cobbett had been right about this matter. "'What!' exclaimed he. "'I hope you do not read Cobbett. He will ruin you, and he would ruin us all. He would introduce anarchy, confusion, and destruction of property.' "'Oh, no, Jolterhead. There is no destruction of property. Matter, the philosophers say, is indestructible. But it is all easily transferable, as is well known to the base Jolterheads and the blaspheming Jews. The former of these will, however, soon have the faint sweat upon them again.' their tenants will be ruined first, and, 
hear what a foul robbery these landowners have committed or at least enjoyed and pocketed the gain of they have given their silent assent to the one pound note abolition bill they knew well that this must reduce the price of farm produce one half or thereabouts and yet they were prepared to take and to insist on and they do take and insist on as high rents as if that bill had never been passed what dreadful ruin will ensue how many many farmers families are now just preparing the way for their entrance into the poorhouse how many certainly many a score farmers did i see at weyhill yesterday who came there as it were to know their fate and who are gone home thoroughly convinced that they shall as farmers never see weyhill fair again when such a man his mind impressed with such conviction returns home and there beholds a family of children half bred up and in the notion that they were not to be mere working people what must be his feelings why if he have been a baller against jacobins and radicals if he have approved of the power of imprisonment bill and of six acts ay if he did not rejoice at castlereagh's cutting his own throat if he have been a cruel screwer down of the labourers reducing them to skeletons if he have been an officious detector of what are called poachers and have assisted in or approved of the hard punishments inflicted on them then in either of these cases i say that his feelings though they put the suicidal knife into his own hand are short of what he deserves i say this and this i repeat with all the seriousness and solemnity with which a man can make a declaration for had it not been for these base and selfish and unfeeling wretches the deeds of eighteen seventeen and eighteen nineteen and eighteen twenty would never have been attempted these hard and dastardly dogs armed up to the teeth were always ready to come forth to destroy not only to revile to decry to belie to calumniate in all sorts of ways but if necessary absolutely to cut the throats of those who had no object and who could have no object other than that of preventing a continuance in that course of measures which have finally produced the ruin and threatened to produce the absolute destruction of these base selfish hard and dastardly dogs themselves pity them let them go for pity to those whom they have applauded and abetted the farmers i mean the renters will not now as they did in eighteen nineteen stand a good long emptying out they had in eighteen twenty two lost nearly all the present stock of the farms is not in one half of the cases the property of the farmer it is borrowed stock and the sweeping out will be very rapid the notion that the ministers will do something is clung on to by all those who are deeply in debt and all who have leases or other engagements for time these believe because they anxiously wish that the paper money by means of some sort or other will be put out again while the ministers believe because they anxiously wish that the thing can go on that they can continue to pay the interest of the debt and meet all the rest of their spendings without one pound notes and without bank restriction both parties will be deceived and in the midst of the strife that the dissipation of the delusion will infallibly lead to the whole thing is very likely to go to pieces and that too mind tumbling into the hands and placed at the mercy of a people the millions of whom have been fed upon less to four persons than what goes down the throat of one single common soldier please to mind that monsieur the admirers of select vestries you have not done it messrs sturgers burne and hampshire parsons you thought you had you meaned well but it was a coup manqué a missing of the mark and that too as is frequently the case by overshooting it the attempt will however produce its just consequences in the end and those consequences will be of vast importance from weyhill i was shown yesterday the wood in which took place the battle in which was concerned poor turner one of the young men who was hanged at winchester in the year eighteen twenty two 
there was another young man named smith who was on account of another game battle hanged on the same gallows and this for the preservation of the game you will observe this for the preservation of the sports of that aristocracy for whose sake and solely for whose sake sir james graham of netherby descendant of the earls of monteith and of the seventh earl of galloway k t being sure not to omit the k t this hanging of us is for the preservation of the sports of that aristocracy for the sake of whom this graham this barefaced plagiarist this bungling and yet impudent pamphleteer would sacrifice would reduce to beggary according to his pamphlet three hundred thousand families making doubtless two millions of persons in the middle rank of life it is for the preservation for upholding what he insolently calls the dignity of this sporting aristocracy that he proposes to rob all mortgagees all who have claims upon land the feudal lords in france had as mr young tells us a right when they came in fatigued from hunting or shooting to cause the belly of one of their vassals to be ripped up in order for the lord to soak his feet in the bowels sir james graham of the bright sword does not propose to carry us back so far as this he is willing to stop at taking away the money and the victuals of a very large part of the community and monstrous as it may seem i will venture to say that there are scores of the lord charles tribe who think him moderate to a fault but to return to the above-mentioned hanging at winchester a thing never to be forgotten by me james turner aged twenty-eight years was accused of assisting to kill robert baker a gamekeeper to thomas ashton smith esq in the parish of south tidworth and charles smith aged twenty-seven years was accused of shooting at not killing robert snellgrove assistant gamekeeper to lord palmerston secretary at war at broadlands in the parish of romsey poor charles smith had better have been hunting after shares than after hares mines however deep he would have found less perilous than the pleasure grounds of lord palmerston i deem this hanging at winchester worthy of general attention and particularly at this time when the aristocracy near andover and one at least of the members for that town of whom this very thomas ashton smith was until lately one was if the report in the morning chronicle copied into the register of the seventh instant be correct endeavouring at the late meeting at andover to persuade people that they these aristocrats wished to keep up the price of corn for the sake of the labourers whom sir john pollen thomas ashton smith's son's present colleague as member for andover called poor devils and who he said had hardly a rag to cover them oh wish to keep up the price of corn for the good of the poor devils of labourers who have hardly a rag to cover them amiable feeling tender-hearted souls cared not a straw about rents did not oh no did not care even about the farmers it was only for the sake of the poor naked devils of labourers that the colleague of young thomas ashton smith cared it was only for those who were in the same rank of life as james turner and charles smith were that these kind andover aristocrats cared this was the only reason in the world for their wanting corn to sell at a high price we often say that beats everything but really i think that these professions of the andover aristocrats do beat everything ah but sir john pollen these professions come too late in the day the people are no longer to be deceived by such stupid attempts at disguising hypocrisy however the attempt shall do this it shall make me repeat here that which i published on the winchester hanging in the register of the sixth of april eighteen twenty two it made part of a letter to landlords many boys have since this article was published grown up to the age of thought let them now read it and i hope that they will remember it well i last fall address ten letters to you on the subject of the agricultural report my object was to convince you that you would be ruined 
and when i think of your general conduct towards the rest of the nation and especially towards the labourers i must say that i have great pleasure in seeing that my opinions are in a fair way of being verified to the full extent i dislike the jews but the jews are not so inimical to the industrious classes of the country as you are we should do a great deal better with the squires from change alley who at any rate have nothing of the ferocious and bloody in their characters and grafted upon your native want of feeling is the sort of military spirit of command that you have acquired during the late war you appeared at the close of that war to think that you had made a conquest of the rest of the nation for ever and if it had not been for the burdens which the war left behind it there would have been no such thing as air in england for any one but a slave to breathe the bay of tunis never talked to his subjects in language more insolent than you talked to the people of england the debt the blessed debt stood our friend made you soften your tone and will finally place you where you ought to be placed this is the last letter that i shall ever take the trouble to address to you in a short time you will become much too insignificant to merit any particular notice but just in the way of farewell and that there may be something on record to show what care has been taken of the partridges pheasants and hares while the estates themselves have been suffered to slide away i have resolved to address this one more letter to you which resolution has been occasioned by the recent putting to death at winchester of two men denominated poachers this is a thing which whatever you may think of it has not been passed over and is not to be passed over without full notice and ample record the account of the matter as it appeared in the public prints was very short but the fact is such as never ought to be forgotten and while you are complaining of your distress i will endeavour to lay before the public that which will show that the law has not been unmindful of even your sports the time is approaching when the people will have an opportunity of exercising their judgment as to what are called game laws when they will look back a little at what has been done for the sake of insuring sport to landlords in short landlords as well as labourers will pass under review but i must proceed to my subject reserving reflections for a subsequent part of my letter the account to which i have alluded is this hampshire the lent assizes for this county concluded on saturday morning the criminal calendar contained fifty-eight prisoners for trial sixteen of whom have been sentenced to suffer death but two only of that number poachers were left by the judges for execution viz james turner aged twenty-eight for aiding and assisting in killing robert baker gamekeeper to thomas ashton smith esq in the parish of south tidworth and charles smith aged twenty-seven for having wilfully and maliciously shot at robert snellgrove assistant gamekeeper to lord palmerston at broadlands in the parish of romsey with intent to do him grievous bodily harm the judge borough observed it became necessary to these cases that the extreme sentence of the law should be inflicted to deter others as resistance to gamekeepers was now arrived at an alarming height and many lives had been lost the first thing to observe here is that there were sixteen persons sentenced to suffer death and that the only persons actually put to death were those who had been endeavouring to get at the hares pheasants or partridges of thomas ashton smith and of our secretary to war lord palmerston whether the judge borough who was long chairman of the quarter sessions in hampshire uttered the words ascribed to him or not i cannot say but the words have gone forth in print and the impression they are calculated to make is this that it was necessary to put these two men to death in order to deter others from resisting gamekeepers the putting of these men to death has excited a very deep feeling throughout the county of hants a feeling very honourable to the people of that county and very natural to the breast of every human being in this case there appears to have been a killing in which turner assisted and turner might by possibility have given the fatal blow 
but in the case of Smith there was no killing at all. There was a mere shooting at, with intention to do him bodily harm. This latter offence was not a crime for which men were put to death, even when there was no assault, or attempt at assault, on the part of the person shot at. This was not a crime punished with death, until that terrible act brought in by the late Lord Ellenborough was passed, and formed a part of our matchless code, that code which there is such a talk about softening, but which softening does not appear to have in view this act, or any portion of the game-laws. In order to form a just opinion with regard to the offence of these two men that have been hanged at Winchester, we must first consider the motives by which they were actuated in committing the acts of violence laid to their charge, for it is the intention, and not the mere act, that constitutes the crime. To make an act murder there must be malice aforethought. The question therefore is, did these men attack, or were they the attacked? It seems to be clear that they were the attacked parties, for they are executed according to this publication to deter others from resisting gamekeepers. I know very well that there is law for this, but what I shall endeavour to show is that the law ought to be altered, that the people of Hampshire ought to petition for such alteration, and that if you, the landlords, were wise, you would petition also for an alteration, if not a total annihilation of that terrible code called the game-laws, which has been growing harder and harder all the time that it ought to have been wearing away. It should never be forgotten that, in order to make punishment sufficient in the way of example, they must be thought just by the community at large, and they will never be thought just if they aim at the protection of things belonging to one particular class of the community, and especially if those very things be grudged to this class by the community in general. When punishments of this sort take place they are looked upon as unnecessary, the sufferers are objects of pity, the common feeling of the community is in their favour instead of being against them, and it is those who cause the punishment and not those who suffer it who become objects of abhorrence. Upon seeing two of our countrymen hanging upon a gallows, we naturally and instantly run back to the cause. First we find the fighting with gamekeepers. Next we find that the men would have been transported if caught in or near a cover with guns after dark. Next we find that these trespassers are exposed to transportation because they are in pursuit, or supposed to be in pursuit, of partridges, pheasants, or hares. And then we ask, where is the foundation of a law to punish a man with transportation for being in pursuit of these animals? And where, indeed, is the foundation of the law to take from any man, be he who he may, the right of catching and using these animals? We know very well, we are instructed by mere feeling, that we have a right to live, to see, and to move. Common sense tells us that there are some things which no man can reasonably call his property, and though poachers, as they are called, do not read Blackstone's commentaries, they know that such animals, as are of a wild and untamable disposition, any man may seize upon and keep for his own use and pleasure. All these things, so long as they remain in possession, every man has a right to enjoy without disturbance, but if once they escape from his custody, or he voluntarily abandons the use of them, they return to the common stock, and any man else has an equal right to seize and enjoy them afterwards. Book 2, Chapter 1 in the second book and twenty-sixth chapter of Blackstone, the poacher might read as follows. With regard likewise to wild animals, all mankind had by the original grant of the Creator a right to pursue and take away any fowl or insect of the air, any fish or inhabitant of the waters, and any beast or reptile of the field. And this natural right still continues in every individual, unless where it is restrained by the civil laws of the country. And when a man has once so seized them, they become, while living, his qualified property, or, if dead, are absolutely his own, so that to steal them or otherwise invade this property is, according to the respective values, sometimes a criminal offence, sometimes only a civil injury. 
poachers do not read this but that reason which is common to all mankind tells them that this is true and tells them also what to think of any positive law that is made to restrain them from this right granted by the creator before i proceed further in commenting upon the case immediately before me let me once more quote this english judge who wrote fifty years ago when the game code was mild indeed compared to the one of the present day another violent alteration says he of the english constitution consisted in the depopulation of whole countries for the purposes of the king's royal diversion and subjecting both them and all the ancient forests of the kingdom to the unreasonable severities of forest laws imported from the continent whereby the slaughter of a beast was made almost as penal as the death of a man in the saxon times though no man was allowed to kill or chase the king's deer yet he might start any game pursue and kill it upon his own estate but the rigour of these new constitutions vested the sole property of all the game in england in the king alone and no man was entitled to disturb any fowl of the air or any beast of the field of such kinds as were specially reserved for the royal amusement of the sovereign without express license from the king by a grant of a chase or free warren and those franchises were granted as much with a view to preserve the breed of animals as to indulge the subject from a similar principle to which though the forest laws are now mitigated and by degrees grown entirely obsolete yet from this root has sprung up a bastard slip known by the name of the game law now arrived to and wantoning in its highest vigour both founded upon the same unreasonable notions of permanent property in wild creatures and both productive of the same tyranny to the commons but with this difference that the forest laws established only one mighty hunter throughout the land the game laws have raised a little nimrod in every manner book four chapter thirty three when this was written nothing was known of the present severity of the law judge blackstone says that the game law was then wantoning in its highest vigour what then would he have said if any one had proposed to make it felony to resist a gamekeeper he calls it tyranny to the commons as it existed in his time what would he have said of the present code which so far from being a thought a thing to be softened is never so much as mentioned by those humane and gentle creatures who are absolutely supporting a sort of reputation and aiming at distinction in society in consequence of their incessant talk about softening the criminal code the law may say what it will but the feelings of mankind will never be in favour of this code and whenever it produces putting to death it will necessarily excite horror it is impossible to make men believe that any particular set of individuals should have a permanent property in wild creatures that the owner of land should have acquired possession of it is reasonable and right and necessary it is also necessary that he should have the power of inflicting pecuniary punishment in a moderate degree upon such as trespass on his lands but his right can go no further according to reason if the law give him ample compensation for every damage that he sustains in consequence of a trespass on his lands what right has he to complain the law authorises the king in case of invasion or apprehended invasion to call upon all his people to take up arms in defence of the country the militia law compels every man in his turn to become a soldier and upon what ground is this there must be some reason for it or else the law would be tyranny the reason is that every man has rights in the country to which he belongs and that therefore it is his duty to defend the country some rights too beyond that of merely living merely that of breathing in the air and then i should be glad to know what rights an englishman has if the pursuit of even wild animals is to be the ground of transporting him from his country there is a sufficient punishment provided by the law of trespass quite sufficient means to keep men off your land altogether how can it be necessary then to have a law to transport them for coming upon your land no it is not for coming upon the land 
it is for coming after the wild animals which nature and reason tells them are as much theirs as they are yours it is impossible for the people not to contrast the treatment of these two men at winchester with the treatment of some gamekeepers that have killed or maimed the persons they call poachers and it is equally impossible for the people when they see these two men hanging on a gallows after being recommended to mercy not to remember the almost instant pardon given to the excise man who was not recommended to mercy and who was found guilty of wilful murder in the county of sussex it is said and i believe truly that there are more persons imprisoned in england for offences against the game laws than there are persons imprisoned in france with more than twice the population for all sorts of offences put together when there was a loud outcry against the cruelties committed on the priests and the seigneurs by the people of france arthur young bade them remember the cruelties committed on the people by the game laws and to bear in mind how many had been made galley-slaves for having killed or tried to kill partridges pheasants and hares however i am aware that it is quite useless to address observations of this sort to you i am quite aware of that and yet there are circumstances in your present situation which one would think ought to make you not very gay upon the hanging of the two men at winchester it delights me i assure you to see the situation that you are in and i shall therefore now once more and for the last time address you upon that subject we all remember how haughty how insolent you have been we all bear in mind your conduct for the last thirty-five years and the feeling of pleasure at your present state is as general as it is just in my ten letters to you i told you that you would lose your estates those of you who have any capacity except that which is necessary to enable you to kill wild animals see this now as clearly as i do and yet you evince no intention to change your courses you hang on with unrelenting grasp and cry pauper and poacher and radical and lower orders with as much insolence as ever it is always thus men like you may be convinced of error but they never change their conduct they never become just because they are convinced that they have been unjust they must have a great deal more than that conviction to make them just such was what i then addressed to the landlords how well it fits the present time they are just in the same sort of mess now that they were in eighteen twenty two but there is this most important difference that the paper money cannot now be put out in a quantity sufficient to save them without producing not only a late panic worse than the last but in all probability a total blowing up of the whole system game laws new trespass laws treadmill sunday tolls six acts sunset and sunrise laws apple felony laws select vestry laws and all the whole thing root and trunk and branch ay not sparing perhaps even the tent or booth of induction at draycott folio good lord how should we be able to live without game laws and treadmills then and sunday tolls how should we get on without pensions sinecures tithes and the other glorious institutions of this mighty empire let us turn however from the thought but bearing this in mind if you please messieurs the game people that if no matter in what shape and under what pretence if i tell you paper be put out again sufficient to raise the price of a south down you to the last year's mark the whole system goes to atoms i tell you that mind it and look sharp about you o ye fat parsons for tithes and half-pay will be you assured never from that day again go in company into parson's pocket in this north of hampshire as everywhere else the churches and all other things exhibit indubitable marks of decay there are along under the north side of that chain of hills which divide hampshire from berkshire in this part taking into hampshire about two or three miles wide of the low ground along under the chain eleven churches along in a string in about fifteen miles 
the chancels of which would contain a great many more than all the inhabitants men women and children sitting at their ease with plenty of room how should this be otherwise when in the parish of berkeley one single farmer holds by lease under lord carnarvon as one farm the lands that men now living can remember to have formed fourteen farms springing up in a respectable way fourteen families in some instances these small farmhouses and homesteads are completely gone in others the buildings remain but in a tumble-down state in others the house is gone leaving the barn for use as a barn or as a cattle-shed in others the outbuildings are gone and the house with rotten thatch broken windows rotten door-sills and all threatening to fall remains as the dwelling of a half-starved and ragged family of labourers the grandchildren perhaps of the decent family of small farmers that formerly lived happily in this very house this with few exceptions is the case all over england and if we duly consider the nature and tendency of the hellish system of taxing of funding and of paper money it must do so then in this very parish of berkeley there was until a few months ago a famous cock parson the honourable and reverend george herbert who had grafted the parson upon the soldier and the justice upon the parson for he died a little while ago a half-pay officer in the army rector of two parishes and chairman of the quarter sessions of the county of hants mr hohen gave us in his memorable house that jack built a portrait of the clerical magistrate could not he or somebody else give us a portrait of the military and of the naval parson for such are to be found all over the kingdom wherever i go i hear of them and yet there sits burdett and even sir bobby of the borough and say not a word upon the subject this is the case the king dismissed sir bobby from the half-pay list scratched his name out turned him off stopped his pay sir bobby complained alleging that the half-pay was a reward for past services no no said the ministers it is a retaining fee for future services now the law is and the parliament declared in the case of parson horn took that once a parson always a parson and that a parson cannot of course again serve as an officer under the crown yet these military and naval parsons have a retaining fee for future military and naval services never was so barefaced a thing before heard of in the world and yet there sits sir bobby stripped of his retaining fee and says not a word about the matter and there sit the big wigs who gave sir bobby the subscription having sons brothers and other relations military and naval parsons and the big wigs of course bid sir bobby albeit given enough to twattle hold his tongue upon the subject and there sit mr weatherspoon i think it is and the rest of sir bobby's rump toasting the independence of the borough and its member that's our case as the lawyers say match it if you can devil in all your roamings up and down throughout the earth i have often been thinking and indeed expecting to see sir bobby turn parson himself as the likeliest way to get back his half-pay if he should have a call i do hope we shall have him for parson at kensington and as an inducement i promise him that i will give him a good thumping easter offering in former rides and especially in eighteen twenty one and eighteen twenty two i describe very fully this part of hampshire the land is a chalk bottom with a bed of reddish stiff loam full of flints at top in those parts where the bed of loam and flints is deep the land is arable or woods where the bed of loam and flints is so shallow as to let the plough down to the chalk the surface is downs in the deep and long valleys where there is constantly or occasionally a stream of water the topsoil is blackish and the surface meadows this has been the distribution from all antiquity except that in ancient times part of that which is now downs and woods was cornland as we know from the marks of the plough and yet the scotch fellows would persuade us that there were scarcely any inhabitants in england before it had the unspeakable happiness 
to be united to that fertile warm and hospitable country where the people are so well off that they are above having poor rates the tops of the hills here are as good corn-land as any other part and it is all excellent corn-land and the fields and woods singularly beautiful never was there what may be called a more hilly country and all in use coming from berkeley you come up nearly a mile of steep hill from the top of which you can see all over the country even to the isle of wight to your right a great part of wiltshire into surrey on your left and turning round you see lying below you the whole of berkshire great part of oxfordshire and part of gloucestershire this chain of lofty hills was a great favourite with kings and rulers in ancient times at highclere at coombe and at other places there are remains of great encampments or fortifications and kingsclere was a residence of the saxon kings and continued to be a royal residence long after the norman kings came king john when residing at kingsclere founded one of the charities which still exists in the town of newbury which is but a few miles from kingsclere from the top of this lofty chain you come to uphusband or the upper hurstbourne over two miles or more of ground descending in the way that the body of a snake descends when he is going fast from the high part near the head down to the tail that is to say over a series of hill and dell but the dell part going constantly on increasing upon the hilly part till you come down to this village and then you continuing on southward towards andover go up directly half a mile of hill so steep as to make it very difficult for an ordinary team with a load to take that load up it so this uphurstbourne called so because higher up the valley than the other hurstbournes the flat part of the road to which from the north comes in between two side hills is in as narrow and deep a dell as any place that i ever saw the houses of the village are in great part scattered about and are amongst very lofty and fine trees and from many many points round about from the hilly fields now covered with the young wheat or with scarcely less beautiful samefoin the village is a sight worth going many miles to see the lands too are pretty beyond description these chains of hills make below them an endless number of lower hills of varying shapes and sizes and aspects and of relative state as to each other while the surface presents in the size and form of the fields in the woods the hedgerows the sainfoin the young wheat the turnips the tares the fallows the sheepfolds and the flocks and at every turn of your head a fresh and different set of these the surface altogether presents that which i at any rate could look at with pleasure for ever not a sort of country that i like so well as when there are downs and a broader valley and more of meadow but a sort of country that i like next to that for here as there there are no ditches no water furrows no dirt and never any drought to cause inconvenience the chalk is at bottom and it takes care of all the crops of wheat have been very good here this year and those of barley not very bad the same point has given a fine crop of the finest sort of hay in the world and this year without a drop of wet i wish that in speaking of this pretty village which i always return to with additional pleasure i could give a good account of the state of those without whose labour there would be neither corn nor sainfoin nor sheep i regret to say that my account of this matter if i give it truly must be a dismal account indeed for i have in no part of england seen the labouring people so badly off as they are here this has made so much impression on me that i shall enter fully into the matter with names dates and all the particulars in the fourth number of the poor man's friend this is one of the great purposes for which i take these rides i am persuaded that before the day shall come when my labours must cease i shall have mended the meals of millions i may overrate the effects of my endeavours but this being my persuasion i should be guilty of a great neglect of duty were i not to use those endeavours andover sunday fifteenth october 
I went to Wayhill yesterday, to see the close of the hop and of the cheese fair, for, after the sheep, these are the principal articles. The crop of hops has been in parts where they are grown, unusually large, and of super-excellent quality. The average price of the Farnham hops has been, as nearly as I can ascertain, seven pounds for a hundredweight, that of Kentish hops five pounds, and that of the Hampshire and Surrey hops, other than those of Farnham, about five pounds also. The prices are, considering the great weight of the crop, very good. But if it had not been for the effects of late panic, proceeding, as Baring said, from a plethora of money, these prices would have been a full third, if not nearly one-half higher. For though the crop has been so large and so good, there was hardly any stock on hand. The country was almost wholly without hops. As to cheese, the price, considering the quantity, has been not one-half so high as it was last year. The fall in the positive price has been about twenty per cent, and the quantity made in 1826 has not been above two-thirds as great as that made in 1825, so that here is a fall of one-half in real relative price. That is to say, the farmer, while he has the same rent to pay that he paid last year, has only half as much money to receive for cheese as he received for cheese last year, and observe on some farms cheese is almost the only saleable produce. After the fair was over yesterday, I came down from the hill three miles to this town of Andover, which has within the last twenty days been more talked of in other parts of the kingdom than it ever was before from the creation of the world to the beginning of those twenty days. The Thomas Ashton Smiths and the Sir John Pollens, famous as they have been under the banners of the old navy purser, George Rose, and his successors, have never, even since the death of poor Turner, been half so famous, they and this corporation whom they represent, as they have been since the meeting which they held here, which ended in their defeat and confusion, pointing them out as worthy of that appellation of poor devils, which Pollen thought proper to give to those labourers, without whose toil his estate would not be worth a single farthing. Having laid my plan to sleep at Andover last night, I went with two Farnham friends, Messrs. Knowles and West, to dine at the ordinary at the George Inn, which is kept by one Sutton, a rich old fellow, who wore a round-skirted sleeved fustian waistcoat, with a dirty white apron tied round his middle, and with no coat on. Having a look the eagerest, and the sharpest that I ever saw in any set of features in my whole lifetime, having an air of authority and of mastership, which, to a stranger as I was, seemed quite incompatible with the meanness of his dress, and the vulgarity of his manners, and there being, visible to every beholder, constantly going on in him a pretty even contest between the servility of avarice and the insolence of wealth. A great part of the farmers and other fair people having gone off home, we found preparations made for dining only about ten people, but after we sat down, and it was seen that we designed to dine, guests came in apace, the preparations were augmented, and as many as could dine came and dined with us. After the dinner was over, the room became fuller and fuller, Guests came in from the other inns, where they had been dining, till at last the room became as full as possible in every part, the door being open, the doorway blocked up, and the stairs leading to the room crammed from bottom to top. In this state of things Mr. Knowles, who was our chairman, gave my health, which, of course, was followed by a speech. And as the reader will readily suppose, to have an opportunity of making a speech was the main motive for my going to dine at an inn at any hour, and especially at seven o'clock at night. In this speech I, after descanting on the present devastating ruin, and on those successive acts of the ministers and the Parliament, by which such ruin had been produced, after remarking on the shuffling, the tricks, the contrivances from 1797 up to last March, I proceeded to offer to the company my reasons for believing that no attempt would be made to relieve the farmers and others by putting out the paper money again, as in 1822, or by a bank restriction. 
just as i was stating these my reasons on a prospective matter of such deep interest to my hearers amongst whom were land-owners land-renters cattle and sheep-dealers hop and cheese producers and merchants and even one two or more country bankers just as i was engaged in stating my reasons for my opinion on a matter of such vital importance to the parties present who were all listening to me with the greatest attention just at this time a noise was heard and a sort of row was taking place in the passage the cause of which was upon inquiry found to be no less a personage than our landlord our host sutton who it appeared finding that my speech-making had cut off or at least suspended all intercourse between the dining now become a drinking-room and the bar who finding that i had been the cause of a great restriction in the exchange of our money for his neat genuine commodities downstairs and being apparently an ardent admirer of the liberal system of free trade who finding in short or rather supposing that if my tongue were not stopped from running his taps would be had though an old man fought or at least forced his way up the throng stairs and through the passage and doorway into the room and was with what breath the struggle had left him beginning to bawl out to me when some one called to him and told him that he was causing an interruption to which he answered that that was what he had come to do and then he went on to say in so many words that my speech injured his sale of liquor the disgust and abhorrence which such conduct could not fail to excite produced at first a desire to quit the room and the house and even a proposition to that effect but after a minute or so to reflect the company resolved not to quit the room but to turn him out of it who had caused the interruption and the old fellow finding himself tackled save the labour of shoving or kicking him out of the room by retreating out of the doorway with all the activity of which he was master after this i proceeded with my speech-making and this being ended the great business of the evening namely drinking smoking and singing was about to be proceeded in by a company who had just closed an arduous and anxious week who had before them a sunday morning to sleep in and whose wives were for the far greater part at a convenient distance an assemblage of circumstances more auspicious to free trade in the neat and genuine has seldom occurred but now behold the old fustian jacketed fellow whose head was i think powdered took it into that head not only to lay restrictions upon trade but to impose an absolute embargo cut off entirely all supplies whatever from his bar to the room as long as i remained in that room a message to this effect from the old fustian man having been through the waiter communicated to mr knowles and he having communicated it to the company i addressed the company in nearly these words gentlemen born and bred as you know i was on the borders of this county and fond as i am of bacon hampshire hogs have with me always been objects of admiration rather than of contempt but that which has just happened here induces me to observe that this feeling of mine has been confined to hogs of four legs for my part i like your company too well to quit it i have paid this fellow six shillings for the wing of a fowl a bit of bread and a pint of small beer i have a right to sit here i want no drink and those who do being refused it here have a right to send to other houses for it and to drink it here however mammon soon got the upper hand downstairs all the fondness for free trade returned and up came the old fustian jacketed fellow bringing pipes tobacco wine grog sling and seeming to be as pleased as if he had just sprung a mine of gold nay he soon after this came into the room with two gentlemen who had come to him to ask where i was he actually came up to me making me a bow and telling me that those gentlemen wished to be introduced to me he with a fawning look laid his hand upon my knee take away your paw said i and shaking the gentleman by the hand i said i am happy to see you gentlemen even though introduced by this fellow things now proceeded without interruption songs toasts and speeches filled up the time until half-past two o'clock this morning though in the house of a landlord who receives the sacrament but who from his manifestly ardent attachment to the liberal principles of free trade would i have no doubt 
have suffered us if we could have found money and throats and stomachs to sit and sing and talk and drink until two o'clock of a sunday afternoon instead of two o'clock of a sunday morning it was not politics it was not personal dislike to me for the fellow knew nothing of me it was as i told the company just this he looked upon their bodies as so many gutters to drain off the contents of his taps and upon their purses as so many small heaps from which to take the means of augmenting his great one and finding that i had been no matter how the cause of suspending this work of reciprocity he wanted and no matter how to restore the reciprocal system to motion all that i have to add is this that the next time this old sharp-looking fellow gets six shillings from me for a dinner he shall if he choose cook me in any manner that he likes and season me with hand so unsparing as to produce in the feeders thirst unquenchable to-morrow morning we set off for the new forest and indeed we have lounged about here long enough but as some apology i have to state that while i have been in a sort of waiting upon this great fair where one hears sees and learns so much i have been writing number four of the poor man's friend which price tuppence is published once a month i see in the london newspapers accounts of dispatches from canning i thought that he went solely on a party of pleasure so the dispatches come to tell the king how the pleasure party gets on no what he has gone to paris for is to endeavour to prevent the holy allies from doing anything which shall sink the english government in the eyes of the world and thereby favour the radicals who are enemies of all regular government and whose success in england would revive republicanism in france this is my opinion the subject if i be right in my opinion was too ticklish to be committed to paper granville levison gower for that is the man that is now lord granville was perhaps not thought quite a match for the french as a talker and therefore the captain of eton who in eighteen seventeen said that the ever-living luminary of british prosperity was only hidden behind a cloud and who in eighteen nineteen said that peel's bill had set the currency question at rest for ever therefore the profound captain is gone over to see what he can do but captain a word in your ear we do not care for the bourbons any more than we do for you my real opinion is that there is nothing that can put england to rights that will not shake the bourbon government this is my opinion but i defy the bourbons to save or to assist in saving the present system in england unless they and their friends will subscribe and pay off your debt for you captain of toad-eating and nonsensical and shoe-licking eton let them pay off your debt for you captain let the bourbons and their allies do that or they cannot save you no nor can they help you even in the smallest degree rumsey hampshire monday noon sixteenth october like a very great fool i out of senseless complaisance waited this morning to breakfast with the friends at whose house we slept last night at andover we thus lost two hours of dry weather and have been justly punished by about an hour's ride in the rain i settled on lyndhurst as a place to lodge at to-night so we are here feeding our horses drying our clothes and writing the account of our journey we came as much as possible all the way through the villages and almost all the way avoided the turnpike roads from andover to stockbridge about seven or eight miles is for the greatest part an open corn and sheep country a considerable portion of the land being downs the wheat and rye and vetch and sainfoin fields look beautiful here and during the whole of the way from andover to rumsey the early turnips of both kinds are not bad and the stubble turnips very promising the downs are green as meadows usually are in april the grass is most abundant in all situations where grass grows from stockbridge to rumsey we came nearly by the riverside and had to cross the river several times this the river test which as i described in my ride of last november begins at uphusband by springs bubbling up in march out of the bed of that deep valley it is at first a burn that is to say a stream 
that runs only a part of the year, and is the rest of the year as dry as a road. About five miles from this periodical source it becomes a stream all the year round. After winding about between the chalk hills for many miles, first in a general direction towards the south-east, and then in a similar direction towards the south-west and south, it is joined by the little stream that rises just above, and that passes through the town of Andover. It is after this joined by several other little streams, with names, and here at Rumsey it is a large and very fine river, famous all the way down for trout and eels, and both of the finest quality. Lindhurst, New Forest, Monday evening, 16th October. I have just time before I go to bed to observe that we arrived here about four o'clock, over about ten or eleven miles, of the best road in the world, having a choice too for the great part of the way, between these smooth roads and greensward. Just as we came out of Rumsey, or Romsey, and crossed our river test once more, we saw at our left the sort of park called Broadlands, where poor Charles Smith, who has mentioned above, was hanged for shooting at, not killing, one Snellgrove, an assistant gamekeeper of Lord Palmerston, who was then our secretary at war, and who is in that office, I believe, now, though he is now better known as a director of the Grand Mining Joint Stock Company, which shows the great industry of this noble and right honourable person, and also the great scope and the various nature and tendency of his talents. What would our old fathers of the Dark Ages have said, if they had been told that their descendants would at last become so enlightened as to enable Jews and loan-jobbers to take away noblemen's estates by mere watching the turn of the market, and to cause members, or at least one member, of that most honourable, noble, and reverend assembly, the King's Privy Council, in which he himself sits, so enlightened, I say, as to cause one of this most honourable and reverend body to become a director in a mining speculation. How one pities our poor, dark-aged, bigoted ancestors, who would, I dare say, have been as ready to hang a man for proposing such a liberal system as this, as they would have been to hang him for shooting at, not killing, an assistant gamekeeper. Poor old fellows! How much they lost by not living in our enlightened times! I'm here close by the old purser's son, George Roses. End of chapter 26